In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the others have never even seen. I'm Eric Johnson. And I'm Emily Jones. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gbnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. As you probably know, this season we're shaking things up a bit with 10 guest geeks. Friends of ours who are joining in to school us on the stuff that both Eric and I have somehow managed to miss. It's amazing, but it's true. I know. There are, there are lots holes of things in our pop culture knowledge. Today we're talking about Sports Night, a TV series created by Aaron Sorkin that ran on ABC from 1998 through 2000. It centers on the team at CSC, a fictional ESPN-esque cable sports channel, and its flagship program, also called Sports Night. Josh Charles and Peter Krause star as the show's anchors, Dan and Casey, and Felicity Huffman plays their producer, Dana Whitaker. It was Aaron Sorkin's first show, and we're both huge fans of his later work, like The West Wing, as you know if you listen regularly to this podcast. Uh, but and he- The Social Network, which yes. we talked about last season. Um, but neither of us has actually seen this, his first show. Which is really, I think, a very, very unfortunate, yeah. like, it's a stain on our <laughs> geek cred it really that is. we have <laughs> not seen this show yet. We need to fix that. Uh, so we are delighted to, we are delighted to have on the show as, as our guest geek for this week, Walt Mossberg. Walt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric, and thanks, Emily. Uh, I'm a, a longtime listener, first time, I guess, guest. <laughs> Well, I can say that uh, there have been a couple times where you've been uh, kind enough to tweet about this show, where you said some very nice things about the show on Twitter. Which we very much and, appreciate. Uh, <laughs> and we're a small enough operation that when you do that, I can look at the numbers and immediately see the Mossberg bump, you know, in, in effect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very real. You know, I meant every every character I tweeted uh, in those tweets. And, uh, no, I love the show. Uh, some of the pop culture is stuff I'm learning about from the show, but a lot of it is you guys um, have a, a, a very wide scope and also a very deep memory, which is why why when I, we were con- conversing about this, because Eric, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just meeting Emily, but Eric and I have known each other for for some years. Uh, we were conversing about this, and Eric said, "Well, do you want to come on and be a guest?" And I said, "Well." I don't think I know how many shows that I care about that you haven't don't know about. There's no chance that there's anything that that you know we haven't seen, right? <laughs> right. And I gave I gave a list. Uh, you know, he said send me a list, and I sent him a list. And it was amazing to me that you hadn't seen Sports Night. I just thought it was a travesty. So it is. No, it's why, we we agree with you. It. It's a travesty that we are we are prepared to address today. All right. Yes. Uh, so, uh, real quick before we get to the uh, the spoiler break, uh, Walt, if you could just kind of uh, tell us very generally, I mean, um, what what do you what do you think is the the, the biggest uh, reason people should go and watch this show with us now? Like, what, what's 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 your kind of your your uh, main reason for picking this? Other than, of course, schooling us because we are you know ignorant of of a great no, TV show. No, I mean, no, 
I, I think the biggest reason to watch this show, uh, even if you're not an Aaron Sorkin fan, uh, but especially if you are, is that um, it exhibits the kind of really smart, snappy dialogue and uh, I think performances that, that can handle that dialogue, which marked uh, a lot of his other work, but in the format of a half-hour sitcom uh, that's really just just smart and, um, I think, highly entertaining. Great. Uh, well, so look forward to watching this. We're going to watch five episodes that you selected for us here. Uh, three of them are from season one, and two of them are from season two. The show ran for two seasons on ABC. Um, so we're going to get kind of a nice survey of the, of the entire, uh, entire run here. Um, and we're going to put all these in the show notes and in the, the blog post for this episode, so listeners, you don't have to memorize this. Uh, but we're watching Season 1, Episode 7, Dear Louise. Episode 15, Dana in the Deep Blue Sea. Episode 19, Eli's Coming. And then in Season 2, we're watching Episode 3, which is called Cliff Gardner. And Episode 11, which is called And the Cut Man Cometh. Uh, that'll all be in the show notes. Uh, but if you want to watch those, I think we are all watching these on Hulu. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it looks like, uh, yeah, you can watch them on Hulu if you have a subscription. You can also rent the episodes uh, for a dollar each from Amazon, iTunes, or Vudu. Or if you want to pay an extra dollar, you can rent them for $2 each from Google Play. That's up to you what you do with your money. <laughs> So uh, we're going to go watch those five episodes, and we'll be back after this break. Spoiling all of them. back we just watched five episodes of sports night um i know i have a lot of thoughts i'm sure that eric you do as well but first Mm -hmm. um walt why don't you tell us why you love this show so much well um i'm a well i admit to being an aaron sorkin fanboy uh uh, i have enjoyed most of his work uh not all but most of it um I got the chance to interview him at a, one of our conferences once, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but this show, I love the show uh, for itself, even if the actors were never had done anything else or Sorkin had never done anything else. I This show would appeal to my sense of humor and to my sensibilities about the world. Uh, but it's so much richer to me because... These are, you're watching actors kind of in their younger stages who go on to do amazing things. Uh, for instance, I, I can't, won't list all of them, but, you know, uh, uh, Peter Krause and Josh Charles, who are the two uh, anchors, as Eric said, uh, each went on to, to carry shows. Uh, Josh Charles uh, uh, was leading male figure on uh, The Good Wife and has done other things. Peter Krause, Six Feet Under and Parenthood. Um, You have Felicity Huffman, Desperate Housewives and other roles. You have 
Joshua Molina, who mm. went on to do uh, you know multiple seasons of The West Wing, uh, and it, you know it just goes on and on. Even minor, even people who made minor, tiny entrance entrances on this show, like Janelle Maloney, went on to be you know Donna in The West Wing. Uh, Wait, in fact, a lot of these... does she show up on an episode we didn't watch? Because like I yes, okay. she does. She does. Because I was about to she be shows really up... upset with myself if she was on these episodes and I didn't spot her. Like <laughs> no, I yeah. love Donna. You didn't miss it. You didn't miss it, Emily. Okay. She shows up as a timid wardrobe person okay. Okay. Uh, on a couple of episodes. I feel of reassured. This. Yeah, thank you. Should, uh, but I'm yeah, Doctor Doctor Cuddy and uh, I can't Dr. and Cuddy. I can't remember her name when she was Sam's her escort is... friend on. Yeah, right. Escort. Yeah, uh, uh, Lisa Edelstein. Yes. Uh, yeah, is uh, is a, a, a recurring character on Sports Night. You saw her once, but she actually appears in some other episodes. And Mrs. Santos, Terry Polo. Uh, and Terry Polo, who is Mrs. Helen Santos on The West Wing, and I think also played. Michael J. Fox's girlfriend or wife on something. Huh. Uh, she was also uh, the fian- uh, Ben Stiller's fiance in Meet the Parents. Yeah, I mean Terry Polo. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That that's probably her bigger deal. Although those I didn't was not a fan of those movies. But um, and by the way, the, this show was produced by Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. I noticed like, that. Those I was are Hollywood royalty. I mean, they're yeah. they're like nobodies, right? Like you know, yeah, you really have to point, you really have yeah. to have obscure knowledge to know who those two are. <laughs> and, and then and and the and the theme song was written by Snuffy Walden, uh, who wrote the theme song to the West Wing. So. Right, oh. which is which as we discussed on on our West Wing episode, like I have at least as many like emotional patriotic feelings about that song as I do about like the actual canon of patriotic music. <laughs> oh no! Someone I, plays I, the I, West Wing theme. Emily stands up and just salutes <laughs> or puts her hand over her heart. You know? I I it might I'm as well with be the you, national Emily. anthem. I didn't say that. I'm totally true, with but. you. And, and I just have one more thing to say, just so listeners will be able to locate this. Uh, listeners who uh, uh, aren't as familiar, maybe, with Sorkin's career. So Sorkin, in my mind, is uh, probably the most important and influential screenwriter of the last 20 years or, or 25 years. And uh, some people really don't like him. Many people really do like like him, but just to put Sports Night in its, you know, in the in the context, and then we can talk about the show and these episodes. Um, as Emily said, this is this was his first TV show, but he had already had big successes uh, on stage in New York and in the movies before this, because he had already done a few Good Men uh, on stage. Uh, in uh, which, by the way, Joshua Molina was in, and maybe really? some other. Yes, huh. in, a, in a small role, and then the movie also had appeared before Sports Night. Uh, he had also done The American President, mm-hmm. which I happen to love, but I mean I wouldn't call it a heavyweight movie. It's sort of a <laughs> a, a political rom com starring Michael Douglas and Annette Bening, and it has Martin Sheen. It has a whole bunch of other well-known people in it. All those things were under his belt uh, before he did uh, uh, Sports Night. And um, the other thing to know is that the second season of Sports Night, which was its final season, Mm -hmm. was done simultaneously with the first season of The West Wing. And Sorkin wrote all... All the scripts for both shows. I was wondering about the overlap in the show dates there. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
and also it's it's crazy that the second season of this of the show the fact that they would be happening simultaneously on different networks really supr- no less on on different networks it's it's also really i think telling the fact that the second season at least from the episodes we watched had such a starkly different tone right. and a completely yeah. different level of stakes i mean we'll we'll get into all of that but i think it's especially surprising that between season one and season two of this show, just from the episodes we sampled, like the intensity and the and the the drama of of the setting goes way way up. It's yeah. it's like the rising tide here. Um, of, of no, I, I I I completely agree with you. I think there's one more thing I'll say, and then mm-hmm. I'll shut up about context <laughs> and history. This is one of three shows on television Aaron Sorkin has written about being behind the scenes in mm-hmm. the production of a TV show. The other two uh, were the flop, uh, Studio Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Little quick flash which, in the pan. Right, quick flash in the pan. Great actors, actually. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, I felt he could never make, this is my interpretation, I don't think he could ever make the stakes high enough on that. Yep. That was an attempt to be sort of, behind the scenes at Saturday, at Saturday Night Live or Saturday yeah. Night Live show. And it actually came out the same year as 30 Rock, yep. which is which is in a way the same premise, but done very, very differently. Yeah, well, and if I, I remember also... correctly, it was originally titled Studio 30 uh, <laughs> was, was the name of the show, but then they had to change it because it was Studio 60. I... Uh, or oh, because, 30 Rock because of 30 year. Rock. Yeah. I, also yeah. remember, they... I also remember trying to watch Studio 60 that first season that it was out, and it was right after the West Wing had ended, and like... It was such it was such a marked because I remember like being excited like oh Aaron Sorkin's got this other show whatever but to go from like the inner workings of the West Wing and then the last two seasons that are so intense with the presidential campaign and you know you know the state the stakes are like the country and war and like all of this stuff and then to to feel like I was watching a very similar show but it was about Saturday Night Live it was just like this is just ridiculous it was just like popping this <laughs> balloon that was like I just can't. I just well, can't oh, no, feel yeah, like the thing stakes about, here matter the way they did on that other show. Like, here, Here's the thing about Studio 60. Studio 60, I, I watched all the first season of Studio 60. It was my first Aaron Sorkin show. I like it more than most people did. But here's the problem with Studio 60. Is on the West Wing, you could trick yourself into believing that this is a real administration dealing with real issues. And these people really care about their jobs. And they are as self-important as they say they are. On Studio 60... They're talking as if they're writing Shakespeare, and they're not even writing good SNL sketches. Like, the, the show within the show on Studio 60 was almost never funny. I remember— Well, the, er, Eric, it was almost never shown. That's that's true, but very when they did little, show it— uh, Very little of it was shown. It was less funny than the hacky fake SNL on, on TGS on, on 30 Rock. Like, right. no, they would do sketches that were like— this is what Chandler Bing has been obsessing about for for a month. Like, really? <laughs> this, this, yeah. This yeah. Is the no, you're right. And, hard yeah. Well, I mean, that was actually... that was my problem with it too. And it's just like I feel like those though that that criticism just gets like ratcheted up tenfold when you actually were watching the West Wing beforehand, and then it's like this giant like oh, yeah. letdown from that. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, I, I didn't see West Wing I, until after Studio Sixty, so that was well, yeah. I will I will say two up. things. I I completely agree with Emily. Uh, I think Studio 60 might have had a better chance uh, if it had not come right after West Wing because, to go back to our point, the whole point of it was you could not get involved in the stakes of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And 
that was heightened because it had come right after West Wing. Uh, the other contrast I'll make here is that in Sports Night, which is after all what we are going to be talking about in our talk, <laughs> eventually, about, they, they, it is obviously largely about. It's largely an office, you know, an office show. But they do the the actual on camera show that they're doing is well thought out and is a character in the in in the in the show here. In three, two. Good afternoon from New York City. I'm Casey McCall alongside Dan Rydell. Lions, Tigers, and Bearcats. Oh my, we've got expanded coverage of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, a.k.a. March Madness. We'll be taking you to Knoxville, East Rutherford, and St. Louis, where the Jayhawks are about to tip off. And we want to bring you up to date on some developments out in Phoenix, so we're going to take you to the America West Arena right after this. You're watching a special Saturday expanded edition of Sports Night on CSC. We're just getting started, so stick around. We're out. Two minutes back, and things that happen on on the on the uh, broad the fake broadcast directly relate in a big way to what's going on in the in the characters' lives and in and relationships, and it never that never was true on Studio Sixty. But let me get to the third and last Aaron Sorkin <laughs> show, which was an attempt to show what it's like behind the scenes of a. Show and that's the newsroom, the newsroom which actually had four seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Four? Am I right about that? I think four. I stopped after I stopped after two. I just couldn't. Yeah, it was again. It had high stakes. Uh, I uh, this is not the podcast to talk about that. Uh, I'll be happy to come back, or you guys can do it yourselves. I'm sure. uh, I think we've all watched it. Is the problem? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. It doesn't. It doesn't qualify. Uh, it. It. I guess it wasn't a complete flop like Studio sixty, but I would not. I would say it was not Aaron Sorkin's finest moment. No. So um, anyway, that's the context, and I'll shut up about context. Now. <laughs> hey, you're talking. To, uh, you're talking to two history majors. We're we're yeah. super down with history and context. I don't know about our listeners, but the two of us are on board. <laughs> If you're still listening, right. thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's talk also, about sports should tonight. We be, should we be like walking around while we discuss this? Or I, I feel like yeah. we should be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if the three of us could pull off a walk and talk, though. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, well, and I, I don't want to harp on the same things that I said during our West Wing episode, but like, it's not just like that we couldn't pull off a walk and talk. That's what I always feel like when I'm watching Aaron Sorkin. Pri- pri- previously, I would say the West Wing, but now I'll just broadly say Aaron Sorkin is just like and even the newsroom as much as I wasn't super into the newsroom like it was still scripted by Aaron Sorkin and I still had the sense that like I would like Mm -hmm. I would like to be spouting that level of like rapid fire intelligence like (laughs) I wish I were that articulate all the time I know I wish I wish my brain wrote that fast like as I speak (laughs) even on sports yeah totally again a, a 30 minute I don't know dramedy comedy drama whatever you want to call it i suppose it was called a comedy yeah. oh but, and it um, had that laugh track in the first season which like oh my that, god that was well, like but, so strange to pair the I, laugh track with aaron sorkin dialogue it just, and, yeah, and it wasn't so like wrong. a multicam sitcom no i know it's just like abc like doesn't know what to do with it is like <laughs> right and and sorkin uh and shlami fought bitterly against it and they got it gradually yep. toned down is the story you read uh, in multiple places online. They got it gradually toned down and then it was gone in the second season, 
which in, in addition to other factors you will bring up, Eric, I think helped contribute to the change of tone in the show. Yeah, in well, the second season. I, I was gonna say I felt like I felt like watching like a, an episode from pretty early on in the first season, and then two episodes from later. I did notice the laugh track had diminished so much mm-hmm. by episodes fifteen and nineteen, and I was like. I feel like I can I can hear them battling with the network over this laugh track. And then when we watched the episode that was about the battle with the network, I was like, this is so meta. Like I this is the laugh track. Oh, it's, it's, it's totally now. meta. <laughs> and it's and uh, uh, nothing will convince me that it wasn't totally deliberate on Sorkin's part. It really all boils down to the same thing. Well, not all. No, but not all. But what we're saying, and I think I speak for all of us. Yes. But the problem's in the writing. Now, when we say that, bear in mind that we're huge fanciers. Yes. We appreciate the style. Absolutely. But you got to remember that not everyone is as smart as we are. And we would like you guys to write the show more like who? Keith and Caddy are a good example. Yes. Or Craig. Yeah. It was like a. It was like an arrow totally. at ABC. And mm-hmm. and I mean like not even not even being aware of any actual context. Like I didn't go back and dig up you know variety articles from the time. I could just you could just tell in the the show like over the course of the first season that like that had been their relationship with their network, and then they made an episode about it. And I'm like I'm on board with that. Like yes. And and the, with that episode too, the um was it Cliff Gardner I think was the with name William name H. of that Macy. episode. Yeah, we're William H. Macy. I think maybe because we missed that character's intro earlier in the season. That was such a fun surprise to... uh, I mean, this is kind of the thing about the way, in addition to Laugh Track being the norm back then, like this is kind of the nice thing that I sort of miss about 90s television is they had to be written that you could jump in at any point. Like, it had exactly. to be okay yeah, if you missed the plot, six episodes. Reintroduce the plot line after every commercial break. <laughs> Right, but but not just that. I mean, I'm talking about, like, the characters are written, and admittedly this is a less challenging way, or a less maybe less dramatically satisfying to some extent. But William H. Mason can stride into the room. People have been talking about, oh, since he's been here, he's a virus, he's a pestilence, or whatever, it's body snatchers. He's this, he's that. He walks into the room, and it, like, your mind fills in the blanks. Like, the show is yeah. written in such a way that you don't have to, you, you know, you don't have to have seen everything. You can just jump in, and it's like, oh, okay, I, I get who this guy is. And by the way, it's William H. Macy. How great is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right. Even, and um, William H. Macy probably had, out of the two seasons, he probably had four or five episodes. I, I may be wrong about this. That's it? Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. it was it was part of the second season. Okay, uh, that and, and and he was actually brought in by one of the heroes of the show, the producer mm-hmm. or managing editor of of the sports mm-hmm. night program, uh, whose name is Isaac Jaffe, who's played by Robert Guillaume, uh, and uh, but he was done. He was brought in by Isaac, but under sort of network pressure because the network was on his back because they were in third place mm-hmm. behind ESPN and and Fox. And um, his job was to get the ratings up by a remarkably small amount. You didn't see it in one of these five episodes, but his job was to get the ratings up by something like points, something yeah. points or mm-hmm. whatever. And he did it. Uh, but it was, uh, it was so funny to hear them talking about their ratings and stuff in the boxing episode and like how many viewers yes. they have because it's just it's just one of those things where like t- TV viewership and the metrics of TV viewership have changed so much just in the last like 10 years 
that like you know the numbers they're talking about are just it's just like such a different world than the numbers that like you deal with on tv today <laughs> like our ratings are tracking right now at a 4.1 that's like twice our usual numbers that's like four and a half million households dead four and a half million isn't that many is it oh, it's a lot for cable don't the big shows get about 20 million those shows aren't on cable before you said you were on cable that's cable access that's something different I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, break the fourth wall again here for a second. <laughs> um, this show, I looked this up. This show uh, uh, had had a viewership of something on the order of 11 million people. Oh my God! Sports night. Now in those days, people knew, and it even says it in one of these scripts of one of the sh- five shows we watched. Yeah. Sein- Seinfeld gets. 25, 30 million people. Other very successful sitcoms in those days got 20 to 30 million viewers. So this show was regarded as not like a complete flop. It did get a second season, but uh, meh. It was a meh number, 11. 11 is so much now. Today, if you put a show on any television network (laughs) or any streaming service, that could get 11 million, even though Netflix and Amazon don't even release their yeah. numbers. But, I mean, if if you put this show, if you remade this show, which I don't think you could because mm. of all the talent, you'd never get the talent. Yeah, no. But if you remade this show and put it on Netflix or Amazon or Apple's music or whatever, and it got 11 million people every single episode, that would be considered a triumph Yeah, that's mind-blowing. Um, I mean, I think it was like Mad Men uh, on AMC averaged less than 2 million people, and that was considered like the biggest thing that had ever happened to AMC. Like, before The Walking yeah. Dead. At the time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this was um, on one, one of the three old broadcast that's true. networks. Yeah. And for them, uh, particularly at that time, yeah. 11 million just wasn't enough to keep going. I see, I think secretly also. Sorkin and Schlamy did not think they could sustain West Wing and this. They would have had well, to turn this over to other people. I mean, that would that would be quite a feat. Um, but and speaking mm-hmm. speaking of of you know the, both this and the West Wing, um, just to sort of transition back to the show itself. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's I find was, out. What you, I want to know what you guys. No, thought I was of the show. you know it, it's it is and of course I knew going into it that this was like his show he did before the West Wing. Um, but it's so interesting because I did feel like I was watching like a West Wing prototype. I mean, the first episode we mm-hmm. watched was basically the filibuster episode of the West Wing in terms of structure. Dear Louise, it's a little after midnight on Thursday and I'm sitting in the middle of the main newsroom at Sports Night. I can't even begin to describe how much I love this place. I've only been here three months, but it feels a lot like home to me. The, you know, one character like writing home to a family member and sort of narrating what was going on and all, like it felt so much like that filibuster episode. Dear Dad, first of all, happy birthday. Second of all, let me explain why I'm not on my way there right now. You're not gonna believe this, but it's because of a filibuster. A filibuster that no one ever saw coming. Not the Senate leadership, not the party leadership, and not me. Well, where do you think where do you no, think I know. the Stackhouse filibuster came from? Totally. It came and I mean, right from Dare Louise. Exactly. Well, and it wasn't just that. I mean, like I also the the um the uh 
the conver- the writer's block conversation. Like, I, I, I would have to go back and find it to like. But I that swear was to definitely in the West I Wing. I swear yes. to God, I have seen either Toby and Sam or Toby and Will have that exact conversation about writers. Now, block. why does Aaron, why does Aaron Sorkin think that's an interesting plot? <laughs> because what is Aaron imagine. Sorkin? He's a I writer. can't imagine yeah. why. I have writer's block. You have writer's block. I have writer's block. Emergency writer's I'm block. I'm telling you. All right, how long? A while now, about 20 minutes. Just cool down, you're gripping, that's all. Talk me through this. Well, are you totally lost? I'm totally lost, man. Well, and that's something else that I love about Sorkin also is just like, as, as like, I mean, I'm not any kind of like prolific writer, but I do writing is a big part of my job. Um, You know, the... Like, the fact that there's so much, like, throwaway dialogue about, like, the way that they just structured a sentence or something is just, like, yep. that just, like, hits me, hits me I'm right sorry in, in like, like, what makes me nerdy. Yeah, you know? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to end that many sentences with prepositions. Yeah. It like, hits me like, right in all the things I'm a super nerd about. Like, when he had the writer's block, he wrote, what was it, the Flyers and the Red Wings or something <laughs> playing a hockey game? Was like, the Flyers played the Red Wings in a hockey game last night, and they won four to three. You see? This is more serious than I thought. I, I'm almost certain that like they they, they did that exact same joke with uh, as Emily said I think with uh, may, maybe Toby and uh, and, and Sam at some. I, I can't yeah, remember I which it was, either, but definitely but... definitely the the West Wing communication staff has had that argument. Toby, let me show you. Can I talk to you a second? It's done. It's not. Sam, it's not. It's not good. It's not going well. We've had meetings, yeah, Toby, the last three weeks. I'm not confused about policy. What's the problem? I'm not writing. And, and I will say, and, and, and continuing the theme of sort of these reverse echoes here, um, my favorite character on this show was Isaac, and I realized the reason for that is he is basically President Bartlett. He's like a prototype for President <laughs> Bartlett, where yeah. he's the the sagacious, you know, kind kind of you know uh, guy who's who's the guiding, the steady hand with all these hot personalities under underneath him, and he's just kind of like the guy who's like. All right, everyone, what's next? You know, he, he has that about Although him. Although he doesn't actually say um, that. Uh, I know, he doesn't say that. Which is a signature but... West Wing line. But so I have to ask you guys, because I'm the geek <laughs> here. You're the noobs. Yes, you are. What did you think of the show? <laughs> what did you think of it? I liked the second season episodes yes. a lot. I did not really care for the first season episodes that much. I think it was good that we watched the first season episodes to ground ourselves in the characters and what they cared about. But it really was not until the last two episodes from season two that we watched where I was actually like, oh, I'm really invested in this. And this is kind of why I was saying earlier why Studio 60 might have been good if it had made it to a second season. It's like the, the, the first season episodes we watched here... You know, we get to know the characters, and we get a lot of really fun kind of linkages with, with you know, later Aaron Sorkin works. Um, but I, I didn't really buy into the stakes of it or to the, or to the uh, fact that this was – that basically the relationships were anything more than, like, high school relationship drama, yeah. if that makes sense. Like a, lot, a lot of the characters in the first season episodes we watched – you know, a lot of the stuff they were saying was very much, you know, it, it could really be in any show spoken by any characters. It felt very generic to me. But then, once we got into the later episodes, more and more, I was like, all right, I'm on board. I would love to watch more of maybe not all of this show, but the second season of this show. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel pretty much exactly the same way. Like, I mostly enjoyed, I mostly <laughs> enjoyed the first 
the first three episodes we watched, the, the season one episodes, I, I, I think it was, I thought it improved a little bit by the third one. Maybe I was just getting more into it, but, um, uh, I, I was mostly enjoying that as like an, oh, this is like a fun foray into like, like an earlier work by someone I already like. Like I was mostly enjoying kind of the, the West Wing precursors, the West Wing sort of connective tissue going on. And yeah, I agree the second season, the quality improved drastically. And I think for me, probably the biggest, the biggest part of that is that it started being a lot more about the show you know the 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 plot lines I mean there was still romantic stuff going on in the background but like the plot lines were you know about the show potentially getting canceled about are they going to be able to pull off this uh this you know boxing special like all of that kind of stuff and and you know the in the the first season episodes we watched it was very much like the a plot was a romance plot and the b plot was a romance plot and I was like Ah, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this stuff is, like, really cute and fun on the outskirts of the West Wing. And, like, every, like, ten episodes or so, there's some little moment between Josh and Donna or whatever. But, like, this this is not this is not what I think, like, Sorkin is good at making into the meat of a show. So I was really glad that that stuff got kind of more pushed to the margins later on. Also, um, just to say the most predictable things I always say on the podcast... I have never really uh, I've never really agreed with the the sharp criticism. A lot of people a lot of people's criticism of Sorkin has to do with like how he writes women and and, like sexist undertones and things. And I never felt that way as a fan of the West Wing. I was like, I mean, yeah, there should be more women in that office. I would love that. But like CJ's awesome and Donna's awesome. And like I'm I'm on board with it. Um, The first season episodes like like so many of my notes are like oh my god she said no she doesn't want to go out with you leave her the f alone like you know like that that kind of stuff that that you know this is the first time that i've really like seen and felt those kinds of criticisms how many times have you approached this woman altogether yes nine times including the flowers 12 times waiting by the elevator 17 times? Okay, now. 17 times. 17 yes. times. And what has she said each time? Well, it usually runs something along the lines of, Dan, I'm not interested. Okay. Dan, you're a nice guy, but I'm just not interested. So let me ask, have you explored the possibility that she's not interested? Oh, I'm well aware that she's not interested. Well, have you tried showing her how you feel, Danny? I mean, have you tried doing it at least 20 times? Welcome to the company. Welcome to the company. <laughs> Welcome to the building. building yeah. Now, right. But Emily, she was secretly watching the TV I show know, the whole time, so but, it's fine. Uh, well, that's just, that's just <laughs> but, but I could read through it. You it got, got admit, better later on. You got to admit, the show's being run by a woman. Uh, yes. Her deputy is a woman. And I, I totally, and that's part of what got better in season two. Like I, I started to appreciate that mm-hmm. so much more. There were all those scenes between Dana and Natalie where they were talking about the show and how to manage the team and all this stuff. And I was like, yes, let these characters do their jobs instead of making the show about the fact that one of the hosts has a crush on them. You know what I mean? Like, so that that stuff very much improved in season two. And and with Dana's character specifically, I think having the the twinning of workplace pressure and personal pressure re- really emphasizing both at the same time makes that so much of a stronger character right. like in the uh dana and the deep blue sea episode you know her, her big line is i'm 33 and i'm very much afraid of fish 
whereas you know later on you know isaac has had a stroke she's kind of left holding the chain she has to deal with this network pressure she has to deal with everything while simultaneously uh was it gordon or whatever his name is is kind of you know jerking her around which i felt like that that made her character so much better the fact that she has more than one yes. thing to deal with. And it's true of um, obviously any character, but seeing Dana Look, go I, from make that I progression. I completely you know? agree with you. It's a little hard for me because I've seen the whole thing, mm-hmm. every episode, mm-hmm. maybe seven times. <laughs> so um, uh, I I know things you don't know, but, but several of the other characters go through very serious personal stuff okay. uh, during this and during the run of the show. I think you would both actually enjoy the entire two seasons, uh, which uh, it's a half an hour show. It doesn't take that long to watch the yeah. entire two yeah. seasons. <laughs> well, and I was and, not watching it too. Was like there were several points where I was like, okay, I definitely definitely missed a beat of like what's going on here, and like I don't, especially when we jump right. to season two. And after just complaining about all the relationship focus in season one and being glad it was gone in season two, then the first episode we watched in season two, it was like. Uh, Dana and Casey had like come to some kind of relate some kind of romantic tension detente and I was like whoa we clearly missed some kind of like big moment like whoa. <laughs> well Dana I, I don't want to spoil don't it for us. you but I mean <laughs> Dana sets up a sort of plan yeah for their relationship, I, I got that but I was like I, I felt Casey hates I felt like we we missed we missed the relationship becoming like out in the yeah, opening yeah and college. that's probably my fault but it's pretty hard no. to pick five. Oh, we um, know yeah Believe us, and we know. You, you, of course, you know. Uh, when we introduced Emily's friend to the oh West Wing, God. we just picked three episodes that we uh, from season one that we really enjoyed, and we skipped over episodes that we thought were were weak. Uh, but it turns out that we skipped over incredibly important character developments that we had just like you glided over in our yeah, minds. So she, was, uh, she was like, she was like, I'm enjoying this show, but also I feel like I like the president is so mad about something and I don't know what it was <laughs> because it happened in the previous episode. And we're like, oops. Yeah. He starts off the, the episode threatening nuclear war. And then, yeah. and then it's just like, clearly I missed something. <laughs> exactly. Um, what did you think of the cliff Gardner episode? And particularly, I mean, you knew one problem is, uh, at the time the show was on, People like William H. Macy were not as well known. I, I don't have his IMDb at my hands, and he may be that he uh, had been sort of famous before this. He certainly was known. I was going to say, but, I feel like Fargo is kind of his big his big Fargo moment. was like 94. Okay, so he had done Fargo. But, um, you know, he has that William H. Macy way of seeming to have no emotion in his voice when he's really doing something super... Uh, uh, emotionally yeah. loaded. Yeah, and I loved that. I think I think that scene with the network executives telling that story about Philo Farnsworth, who, by the way, Sorkin wrote an entire uh, Broadway play about. Um, and, really? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the invention <laughs> of television, not not as 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 uh, William H Macy's character uh, Sam says, he invented television. I don't mean he invented television like Uncle Milty. I mean, he invented the television in a little house in Provo, Utah, at a time when the idea of transmitting, moving pictures through the air, would be like me saying, I figured out a way to beam us aboard the Starship Enterprise. But the way he maneuvers them toward the exit. And, and also the studio never- so, that, so that Isaac can see him have the conversation. 
because he knew that Isaac right. was going to be watching that. Yeah. Right. And never raising his voice. Did you guys like that? I loved that. Yeah. I, I, I loved that. And I loved the way that he like because he he'd been set up as this like antagonist to who. The, you oh, know, and he was. And he they, was. They and then and so... then, you know, that that first scene with him and the network execs in the hall before before even the big moment that you're talking about. As soon as as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, yep, yeah, mm, I'm here for this guy. Like, I am on board with this character. I like this this dynamic. Yes. Yeah, I I, th- I think Sam Donovan. He, uh, I mean, I I, I don't want to make this too much about like, oh wow, this show was really setting the stage for the West Wing and for later stuff. But to me, Sam Donovan was like the Toby role, where 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 it's it's like you know he seems to be one thing on on the outside. He seems to have this really hard ass shell. But then he's also like a really, really, you know, sweet, amazing character well, underneath. I, I, and, he yeah, has, and he has principles. Uh, he he, has, he, has, he Toby, has no conscience, but he does have principles. principles. <laughs> One last thing. The first and last decision-making authority on this show will rest with Isaac Jaffe until Isaac Jaffe says otherwise. And if you disrespect him in my presence again, I will rededicate the rest of my life to ruining the rest of yours. And if you think I'm just mouthing at you, you should ask around about me. I have absolutely no conscience about these things. Sam, why did you bring us out here? Because there's the exit. That's it. The meeting's over. I mean, every everyone in this show, I was drawing connections. It was like, okay, Sam is Toby. Isaac is is, is the president. Yeah, Dana I'm is sorry CJ, there wasn't you know. some world in which you could have watched this without knowing about the West Wing, but there isn't. And no, no, it will forever be the fifth graph in or the sixth scrap somewhere of every article about the West Wing or Sorkin's <laughs> Obit or whatever, but it's... Also did Sports Night, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? What, what, uh, what Eli's coming, what did you think of that? I liked, the, I liked that episode, and I liked the way... That was the one where Isaac has a stroke at yeah. the end, right? Yes. The... And I think, okay, and yeah. I think that for it's me... It's also the whole Bobby Bernstein, yeah. who's the... Right, fill right. in uh, another strong woman character knows all about basketball mm-hmm. and you know, goes on the air and does all this analysis and when it actually in real life it, certainly at that time and I would say even now there are very few women who are allowed to go on sp- these sports shows and do hardcore analysis like that well, and typically c- and certainly I mean like yeah, unless unless you're like Mary Carrillo, like you don't get to do that. Or um, what I was going to say is like speaking of March Madness, like they didn't really specify, but it seemed like she was they had her on talking about the men's tournament. And like, I feel like, oh, I, I know, feel absolutely. like they, they bring in they bring in, you know, the women, the former players and coaches and stuff to talk about maybe the women's tournament. But like they don't get to talk about men's basketball. Um, no, so, no, I appreciated that's, that's that. Right. But no, I was going to say. Um, I no, I, I liked that episode and that was kind of for me, I think that was the start of, of what I was identifying as like a little bit of a pivot away from the show yeah. the whole show is about all these people's relationships into like some other things going on. Especially the way that like so the I mean, even the title of the episode and like Dan's whole sense through the like this is ominous, like something bad is gonna happen, something bad is gonna happen. And he was thinking something bad was gonna happen because, you know, his girlfriend and her ex-husband and his like ex-flame hookup whatever we're all going to be in the room together and it turned out that all of that worked out perfectly fine and the ominous feeling was about something else entirely and i was like that was a great pivot Mm. yes yeah 
and and then I'd also add that the um the the little twist in his ex hookup, yes. the, the the hotel room in Spain, having having that play out the way it did, where he was insistent, you know, I've never been to Spain, you know, I've ne- never never slept with her, you know, all that. The way that they 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 turned that, making him one hundred percent wrong making him a jerk but not making him evil like not not making him like oh i hate this character now that was such a subtle well he apologized yeah he not only does he not only does he apologize he then turns around and after after you know being kind of a dick to his girlfriend after he found out that she was still married he then turns around and does like totally the good guy right thing and it's like whoa Yes. He got that. He was so like immediately chastened, apologized, and turned around and did the right thing in his in his new relationship. It was like, bam, yes. Good job. Way to be like a good person. He, he learned and then I, he applied I, what he learned in the present. It's it's such it's such a inside rare Inside of you one know? half hour <laughs> yeah. or twenty Inside really of like inside minute, of like five minutes. Yeah. Twenty two minute sitcom. Yeah. If you a lot happened the there. Yeah. Well and I also have to say, and this is this is like a super selfish note, but also just like as as a broadcaster, as a host on the radio, like I also really appreciated like the fact that Casey told him about Isaac's stroke as they're like counting him into his shot, and and he's like, "Is yeah. it bad?" And Casey's like, "Yeah, it's bad." And then he walks away, and he immediately turns and super poised host a show, and I was just like, "Thank you for just like for portraying that." Dan. Yeah. I just get a stroke. Is it bad? I'll go to the hospital after the show. Is it bad? Yeah. In ten. You okay? Yeah. Dan. Casey, I'm fine. In three. Two. Welcome back. If you're joining us from East Rutherford, I'm joined once again by CSC analyst Bobby Bernstein. Bobby, let's talk about the North Carolina It's such a thing that you have to do is, like, whatever the hell is going on, just compose yourself and host. And it's – I just really appreciated that moment on a really selfish level. I I will tell you that they do that all the time on the show, although nothing so serious as Isaac's stroke. But, you know, bad things are happening or, uh, you know, things that would upset anyone. Um, They just go on with the show, so to speak. And – it's great. I also this is a there. This is another example uh, uh, of um, making the show, the short segments of the show that they use, the actual show within the show, a mm-hmm. natural part of the of mm-hmm. the whole of the whole story, which they didn't do on Studio Sixty. Sorkin was didn't do on Studio Sixty, uh, and to be really honest, even on Thirty Rock, a much more successful show. You don't see that much of the show within the show. Yeah. Here, here, I mean, you know, he, he, he has this girlfriend, Rebecca, and his worries about Rebecca and her ex-husband or her husband from whom she's separated so much on his mind that he's supposed to say such and such player may have a sprained ankle. And he says, and how's Rebecca's ankle? And Bobby Bernstein just kind of looks at him on camera. Yeah. And he corrects himself. O'Brien. How's Rick O'Brien's ankle? <laughs> and then... When they go to break and Rebecca walks in, she goes, "My ankle's just fine," yeah. you know. And um, and then there's what? Did you like the other one about the park covered with? Oh cheese? my God, yes. You want to explain that? <laughs> the hideous cheese disaster. Yes. 
<laughs> that that was so, that was good. Yeah, that the uh what was it? it was supposed to be a park trees, covered with yeah. trees, and then the thing that the thing that I loved there though was was not the exchange about trees versus cheese. Was then the booth breaking down. Well, how is that actually going to help her with her agility <laughs> yes. if she's in a park covered with trees? It doesn't really make any sense. That's that's where I was like, okay, you win. You, like, cause that's well, what I was thinking too. Like, the, oh, God. Then, so Emily, then, what then, if like, you say something final, like that? And then like the like uh, one final punchline on that that was like wait, we have to clarify whether the park or her dad was covered in cheese. <laughs> it's covered is with like, trees, which, yes. Again, that's, and that's, what I that's what I mean about, like, the throwaway writerly dialogue. That's, like, that's, like, yes. that's, a, that's, such, a, that's such a writer joke. <laughs> Sophomore sensation credit to her agility and quick first step to her father, who used to take her to a neighborhood park all covered with cheese. Dana, we got all kinds of sentence construction here. I think he's going to have to explain that it's the park it's covered with cheese and not the father. And see, to me, I, that whole episode about, which was very largely about uh, this very smart woman who has all his responsibilities running the show, uh, uh, and the whole episode is really about her being worried about impressing her really crappy boyfriend, by the way, yeah. Uh, on, a, on a snorkeling trip where she's kind of afraid of the water and does not a snorkel and she's afraid of fish. It was too much on that. But they did this very clever part covered with cheese thing, which I know people listening <laughs> to this podcast won't, will, are like, how is that clever? Believe me, they did it, it is. very cleverly. And uh, they we can play the clip. It's drop, okay. <laughs> they dropped that right. Well, you should. They dropped that right in the middle uh, of this episode with all this other stuff that was, I thought, a little overdone, uh, uh, mm -hmm. and it helped redeem that episode to me. Yeah, well, and that's, I, I agree, and I think, and that's one of those things where it's like you kind of, I, I don't know, I feel like you see you see them learning what works and then applying it later better, both in season two of this, but also in, in like, the West Wing. Like, I feel like the, that whole snorkeling anxiety thing, I, I, I feel like that's, I feel like that's a, uh, a, a plot that I've watched, you know, maybe CJ or Donna. It's absolutely a CJ plot. It's, it's a C totally it's, but, a CJ yeah, but plot. and then like Donna also does that kind of thing where she's like, where she wants Josh to talk to some guy for her, and she's like super neurotic about what he says and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. But but it, it it's like little little tiny exchanges that's the constitute like you know we always talk about like the A plot and the B plot of episodes, and it would be like it would be like the E plot of of an episode of The West Wing, right? Like <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I mean about the relationship stuff happening on the fringes. It's just like. You know something that's really not central, little throwaway stuff. I get the it. Way I, that the, I totally well, get it. No, here's what I'm saying though: the way that that, the way that that, the cheese trees thing was just like this little tiny little moment that like recurred a couple times, you know. And it's just like a that, and it's like oh, that's the right amount of sprinkling for that kind of relief. And so like what they then did in the West Wing is make the snorkeling type plot be a park full of cheese level sprinkling and it made it so much better i just want to remind <laughs> you and i know you're both super smart you went to brown university in my hometown of providence rhode island but i just want to remind you that this show preceded the west i Wing. know that's so what I'm all saying. of these things <laughs> that's exactly what i'm saying it's like they figured it first out first appeared and the create the, we, we the know creative team we is know the same the whole some of the actors are the same. I know. <laughs> well, that's no, that's I mean, I mean, like that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like they, you know, they tried something and it and it like 
parts of it worked and parts of it didn't. And then they found a way to like they they figured it out. It was like sort of a, a testing ground prototype, and they figured out ways to make it work much much better in the later show. Like, I, yeah. But I I and, and I will say one thing, and I, I don't think Sorkin is the world's best comedy comedy writer, but he does have the the ability to do great comic moments. Yes. Inside mm-hmm. of things, this show yes. remember was supposed to be a sitcom about something not very important compared to, you know, running the White House. Uh, And so it had more of what I would call at least attempts at comedy, which Mm. many of which I I think succeeded. I think a lot of the, we haven't talked about it a lot, but there's just a lot of just ongoing banter, which is, as you put Mm -hmm. it, uh, writerly and smart and not... yeah. Not not something most sitcom writers are capable of doing. That just goes on. We we we're not even able to extract it as an example because it's not even a whole story or a whole subplot. It's just people talking to each other, you know, arguing about esoteric things, and it's mm-hmm. it gets funny. I think the difference here is he's trying hard because he's on. It's his first show. It's on a. Uh, it's on ABC. It's a comedy. So. He's trying for more comedy, but there's drama in here and, and serious personal drama like strokes and people's livelihoods and that kind of stuff. Uh, and yet, uh, and then in the West Wing, I think the formula gets flipped. Mm-hmm. He has all these mm-hmm. serious characters doing serious things, but he makes sure to make them do be goofy mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. various moments so that it humanizes them. Totally. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. And, and maybe he should have flipped it again for Studio <laughs> 60, but that's that's we were well, done litigating speaking, that one. That speaking, one, that of, done. <laughs> speaking of the comedy in this show, though, I mean, I was, like, actively cracking up, laughing out loud at a lot of the Cutman Cometh. I mean, all of the Oh, my God. Yeah, I wanted to talk guy. about the Cutman oh Cometh. I've been waiting for the chance to talk about Let's this. Let's talk about that. The, the, he, that guy, <laughs> the Cutman is... Every local news hack, like but also like I drunk, love. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, so uh, Eric, what is a cut man, and what what are you talking about? I I'm t- I'm talking about everyone who's ever been a personality, you know, who you've seen on TV in, in any capacity or or on radio for that matter. He he is he is he is the hack who's just been there forever and has called on just just to be the color commentator. And, he, and I, he knows nothing. I he's love, like, he knows, he's like he knows He doesn't know how many states there are. <laughs> no, it's a city, Cutman, in upstate New York. Contestants in the Miss America pageant have to come from one of the 50 states. <laughs> well, I hate to correct you on your own show, Casey, but there's 52 states with Alaska and Rhode Island. Okay. Though I'm no college professor, you see. Which, well, okay, <laughs> I will, I will say, <laughs> like... In um in he was talking about the Miss America pageant, and there <laughs> yeah. actually are yes. fifty two yes. contestants because there's like there are I don't know if it's specifically fifty two, but those kinds of pageants often have like there's a District of Columbia and a Puerto Rico or, or something like that that like there actually yeah, might Guam, be fifty two. Guam. Con- yeah, so maybe Guam. there are, maybe there are fifty three. <laughs> like there are more than fifty contestants, but then but not not Miss Alaska, Rochester, not, not Miss Rochester. <laughs> no, not Rochester and Alaska and Hawaii were not like or not Hawaii. He said Rhode Island, not Hawaii. Like, like, he said Alaska and Rhode well, Island. And just yeah, their their reactions to it too, where they like the the way that they handled him, like instead of instead of prompting him, like just kind of yes. just kind of 
deadpan, like one eyebrow well, raised. Well, they hate him. Like, I know. They hate they have to work with well, him. So I, have, so I appreciate it. I just thought it was hilarious. And when he's saying like, oh, it's going to go 12 rounds. It's going to go all the way. It's going to be a great <laughs> long night. And I mean, it, it, it was it was it was also kind of hilarious in a way that that episode predicted the Mayweather oh Pacquiao fight that happened a couple <laughs> years ago. It was exactly the same, where there were hours and hours of prep leading up to the most boring fight in the world. Days, and because it was like seven oh seconds, or something, yeah, right. It's like the Al Capone's tomb of of boxing. You know, it's just a complete, complete dud. And, and then 88 uh, minutes God, to yeah. fill, which is just an unimaginable yawning chasm of time. Like, that's Absolutely. awful. <laughs> and, and, and a cut. What's a cut man? Do you know what a cut man is? I don't actually no. know. What is that? So I'm not a back boxing expert, but this is what I believe. And somebody you know what? We'll, we'll believe like anything that you say because we somebody don't know anything about boxing. You, you can say somebody anything. will correct me. But, you know, boxers, boxers <laughs> get cut. They have a corner mm-hmm. man. And they may. Uh, my impression is that this is someone who treats the cuts during the, you know, between rounds on on the boxer's uh, face and body, uh, particularly their face. They did say but that he I may be wrong, but he gave face. himself. He gave himself that nickname, and they have this whole thing oh about God, you can't give yourself a nickname. They keep asking each other, "You can't give yourself a nickname, right? Right? You can't give yourself a nickname," and. They could not get it. He's standing there on camera with a mic, and at first, and they can't get his attention. And you're you're made to think maybe there's a transmission problem. No. But no, he right. will only respond if you use the word "cut man," which they did not want to use. As su- such a yeah. great character, like it, that's that's one of these like um, in in this show as we were talking about, a lot of the the plot comes from the the regular characters their interactions among one another their relationship drama or their workplace drama or whatever but i mean that's such a perfect little i feel like it mainly happens on sitcoms where you have this character who just parachutes in right. for one episode or two episodes and they just immediately become your favorite yeah. on, on the I, entire like, thing like and, and lord, that was like lord john me. marbury or someone from <laughs> oh yeah yes. but yes. i can tell you uh, since this show does have spoilers this is his only, as far as I can recall, this is yeah, his only Yeah, he's just appearance. like a one-off. No, that's Which is great. Fine. I don't that's even, I don't even know who the actor is, although I think I've seen him in other things. He's one of those people that looks very familiar to you, but that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Which he's, is better. He's at it's this great. boxing match. He doesn't need to come back. I'm yeah. not even sure they even <laughs> do boxing at all in the rest of the two years of this, but this was a heavyweight fight. They decided to do a boxing like marathon thing, and they wore tuxes yeah. on the air. So intense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, while we're on the topic of actors and, and what else they've been in, I will say it was really uh, interesting, uh, and I didn't make this connection until I looked it up, because I had this vague sense of like, oh, he looks familiar. Um, Peter Reigert, who plays Dan's dad mm-hmm. on The yeah. Command Cometh, is not only Boone from Animal House, but he's uh, on the latest season of uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt as the Whole Foods owner. Uh, oh, yeah. Who, oh uh, yeah, you're right. I, yeah, that, um, his name. I mean, this, this yeah, show that is Lillian is like dating. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy yeah. this who was not in one of uh, these episodes, I don't think, but I'll just tell you. There's an actor called Clark Gregg. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, we yes. know him. <laughs> And so he was an FBI guy on the West Wing, but you know 
that he was on what it's like agents of well he's Shield in all and... the marvel stuff well, yeah well no he was in he was in the first uh avengers movies up through the avengers the 2012 one and then he got his own spin-off tv right. series which i have seen some of uh i i uh watched like the first couple well he has a very important uh two episode i think it's two episode arc toward the very end of sports night which is not in the five episodes that we are discussing uh this mm-hmm. this this show I, I i either i i think it was somebody in the audience at the d conference where i interviewed aaron sorkin who said to him so you talked a lot about choices in writing um you talked a little bit about actors uh you've had certain actors brad whitford tim busfield joshua molina who followed you from started at few good men on broadway and then several shows talk a little bit about the choices after the writing they didn't follow me i kidnapped them um because when you find you know uh uh the myth is that hollywood is just teeming over uh uh with actors that there's a tremendous surplus uh of actors and that's true there just isn't a surplus of good actors uh uh good actors are are very very hard to find so when you find one you put them in your pocket and you take them with you uh, wherever you go. Lots of people do that, though, too. I mean, Judd Apatow does that, and um, right. and Joss, Joss Whedon, Whedon does, does that. that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, lots and lots and lots of people do that. But Sorkin, Sorkin even goes to the point of small guest and recurring mm-hmm. roles. Mm-hmm. He uses the same people, mm-hmm. like like Bobby Bernstein mm-hmm. is the is the call girl in. The West Wing yep. for what three maybe episodes? Yeah, Two, three, three, three to five I episodes, know. I would say. And she she comes back. She's she's in the first season for like three episodes, but then she comes yeah, he, back. Yeah, he like later goes on, he I goes think. to her graduating. But no, she, that's why I said she's in three to five episodes. I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, she's a, a a fabulous actor, and yeah. she also, as you as you mentioned, uh, was hugely important on House, which was not a Sorkin show, but I mean, she has. Lots of lots mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of talent mm-hmm. and can and and can handle almost anything. Felicity Huffman, the same way, happens to be married to William H Macy. Yes, uh, which is neither here nor there. Oh right. Uh, I'll give you another little bit of trivia. You know those three or four people who, by the way, in the second season managed to include a woman uh, who has no lines, <laughs> as far as I can tell, sitting in fr- in the very front of the control yeah. room on Sports Night because a lot of the show takes place in the control room. Mm-hmm. Which has, is mm-hmm. kind of got tiered desks. Yeah, like uh, a TV control room does. Yes, uh, and there are three guys who are the main. I don't even know what their particular functions are, or always their names. But they're always up there. They're arguing. They're part mm-hmm. of the banter in the control room. They make jokes. They are the butt of joke. Whatever. Um, they all, they all made it to the West Wing as anonymous reporters in the press room. Really? In, huh. in C.J. Craig's press room. Oh, yeah. Sorkin wow. is loyal. That's great. He t- takes all these people. And uh, as I say, Donna, Donna Moss from the West Wing was a timid wardrobe woman who I think has two lines in Sports Night. And I'm just learning while I'm looking at IMDb pages for, for, for the actors in Sports Night. Uh, Robert Guillaume, who plays Isaac. Guillaume, I think, yeah. Guillaume. Uh, he was Rafiki in The Lion King, oh, which is, okay. that, that's, that's quite a... <laughs> well, but if you're old like me, you remember that he had his own show called Benson, which was a sitcom. Oh, yeah, here it is. Where he was a butler to the governor of some state. Uh, who The governor was also a pretty well-known uh, actor, uh, if I recall. And uh, 
he was sort of smarter than the guy he worked for. He was the butler, but he was sort of the the smart one. In the uh, show. He was the brains mm-hmm. in the house. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was I'm almost certain that was before that certainly was before Sports Night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I found it here. It's uh, 1979 to 1986. Yeah, wow. And the so, governor was Robert Noble. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, or, sorry, James Noble. So these people are, this was a two-season. Stacked. Two-season <laughs> sitcom that was just stacked from yeah. whether you're talking about Ron Howard and Brian Glazer, Aaron mm-hmm. Sorkin and Tommy Schlamy, you know, all these actors down to the most minor actors. This was a stacked show in terms of talent. And yet, yeah. you would you might not have stuck with it after the first few episodes if that was all you knew. Yeah, yeah no, that's no. I'm glad we watched those season two episodes because they were they were they were excellent. I really enjoyed the season two episodes that we watched. I actually think the later, and I think you said this earlier, but I think the later season one episodes also show a discernible difference. Mm-hmm. Partly because because the oh, soundtrack sure. is so much less evident. Yeah, and partly because he just. Yeah, they started changes up the, more confident over time. They started the replacing sure. that the the ridiculous ghost laughter of the laugh track when they're clearly not in front of a studio audience with like just very very late nineties guitar scoring of a network TV show. Like yeah, yeah. That I, I can't <laughs> even put my finger on what that sound is, except that it's what shows from this era sound like. <laughs> All right. Any any other observations? Yeah, I'm just, sorry. I, I've just been sitting here scrolling through my notes, and I don't think I have anything else. Uh, no, I think I think I'll uh, I'll spare you any additional IMDb yeah. notes. <laughs> uh, but oh, I uh, for, for, for for lack of without any context, though, I just would like to say that uh, the 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 concept of getting someone wine and spackle. Oh, as that a was gift. adorable. Oh my god, I love that so much. I always like wine and cheese. I know. I wanted to get you some cheese. There's a Great cheese place over on 2nd Avenue. I went over there after I got the wine, but it's gone. There's a hardware store there now. That's okay. I got you some spackle. You know, you know how for different, like, anniversary years, it's like one year is yeah. paper, one year is, like, diamond? <laughs> I feel wine and spackle should be should fit in there somewhere. Maybe, like, the, you know, 13th year or something. I feel like that should be a special occasion as you get someone that wine really and spackle. <laughs> The fact of wine and spackle is great. I, uh, the giving of the gift of wine and spackle is great. But I also think when Casey comes in and she tells him, oh, I I have wine and spackle, he takes a beat. And he's like, do, do you need spackle? Or it's, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Just takes a beat and she goes, no, but, you know, it's always good to have around. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah, just great. So now that we've talked about that, I can title this episode "Wine and Spackle." So yeah. thank you for for indulging that, me. That's a good. That's good. Is that the title of the ep? Not the episode. No, no, I, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 no, not no, the it's title not the title of the sports, of the sports episode. It's, it's now going to be the title of the Giant Geek versus Mega Noob episode. Eric Excellent. has decided. Wine, it's a great title. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I think I think we're out yeah. of stuff to say. Uh, amazingly, but um, well, thank you so much yes, for joining thank you. us. This has been so oh, much fun having you on. It's tremendous fun for me and an honor for me. To, to do this with you guys and to meet you, Emily. Yeah, it's and, very nice to meet yeah, you. And this guy I've known in, I don't know, six different roles, uh, even just <laughs> at Recode. He has six other different roles yeah. outside of Recode. Uh, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. 
I, I was thinking about it actually recently. Uh, I think, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the first conversation we ever had, or first lengthy conversation we ever had, was me uh, trying to convince you that Silver Linings Playbook was a bad movie. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure that I we that. did not I, really I have. I don't remember it was the first, but I remember that conversation. Yeah. It, it it was it was one of the one of the early conversations I know absolutely had. no context, but that is just so deeply plausible to me. <laughs> well, it yeah. was it so... was Emily. I'm sorry. To me, it was a really good movie. I haven't seen it. Uh, it I haven't really seen it. Cool. That was that was the year that I was in I that was the year that I was in J school, and I like I did I know have not seen that movie. <laughs> it sounds like your J school was a lot harder. What J school? I, was I it? went to Columbia, and it's uh, it's only ten months. Well, so did I, but I had plenty of time to watch movies. <laughs> but Walt, so it was really great uh, having having you on. And so we uh, normally have our guests, uh, you know, give us where else people can find them online. A lot of people who are. Uh, we've had people on who are uh, active in, in journalism and other fields. Uh, where can people find you online? I'll Will? be. Uh, I am retired from my day job after a very long period, uh, and uh, I am working on some projects in retirement. But you can find me uh, at, at Walt Mossberg on Twitter. Uh, I'm on. I have actually two different pages on Facebook. It's not going to be hard to find me. I'm, I'm sort of hard, I'm sort of not good at hiding. <laughs> and Emily, how about you? How are you uh, at hiding? I probably no, I'm not very good at hiding either, except insofar as I have the world's most common name. Um, but well, not the <laughs> world, not the most. But uh, I am on Twitter, however, at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at Hey Hey ESJ. A also, a common with, name. With a there, are, common... there are other Eric Johnsons in the world. Yeah. one of them is married to Jessica uh, Simpson. For the record. <laughs> I'm not married, Jessica Simpson. I I have never never played guitar. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. I cannot play Cliffs of Dover. Uh, well, anyway, uh, well, thank you again for joining us and for introducing us to sports yes, tonight. I really am going to go and watch watch I more of the show. Um, so, uh, and thank you everyone for listening. This is Giant Geek versus Mega Noob, covered in cheese. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com. Our broken heart.